Well, hello, my awesome friends, and welcome to the worldwide broadcast of the Ted and Austin Brower Show, bringing you the latest world news and health research. Hope you're having a fantastic day today, as always, and be sure to check out the product of the week. Y'all voted, and it won the probiotic formula on sale. It'll be going up on the website here shortly, the probiotic 100 billion CFUs, colony forming units. This is an incredibly good product, very, very effective, aids in digestion, and it's very important if you have had to use any type of antibiotics for whatever reason it may be, it's very important to make sure you run a probiotic cycle after that. That's just there's been a lot of research that shows what happens to the gut, the microbe, what happens after the antibiotics, and it pretty much knocks it all out. This probiotic is designed to specifically help with that. So be sure to check it out on the website at healthmasters.com. And also, too, be sure to forward our show and forward the articles to everyone that has ears to hear because it is that time that we have to continually push the truth out there because the propaganda at this point knows no limits. I was on Zero Hedge this morning, and I, I saw the article from where Sean Penn introduced Zelensky at the Golden Globe Awards, and I'm not even going to give these guys more than 20 seconds of coverage on the show because I can't stand either one of them. But I just thought it was funny that there is no end to the level of pure propaganda that they are spewing on every single platform of theater. And what's interesting about this is Sean Penn has been a hardcore socialist. He's been a devout, devout as far as communist uh, mantra, hard Marxist. And there's even photos of him going down to Venezuela getting photos with Chavez back in the day and, you know, talking to the Venezuelan people. And this guy is just a clown. It's another theater actor on a stage like majority of them are. They're paid actors. This is why I've intentionally told people, be very, very cautious who you get your information from. I mean, you guys recall before the election when Biden and Trump were going head to head and The Rock got on social media and did like a five-minute spiel on how he promoted Biden, how he loved Biden, how Biden was so awesome. And I just I thought it was complete and total joke because it was. But it was ironic because so many people thought, you know, oh, The Rock's this and he's that. Guys, he's just another very, very well-paid theater actor that does exactly what he is told to do. So always remember that before you just blindly follow what certain people say. Also, too. In other news, this is interesting. The FAA has resumed air traffic nationwide. If you guys saw this, uh, normal air traffic operations are resuming gradually across the U.S. following an overnight outage to the notice-to-air mission system that provides safety info to flight crews. The ground stop has been lifted, ground, uh, but grounding all domestic flights for hours to spark travel chaos. There were currently 4,000 delays, and two are out of the U.S. Flight tracking website FlightAware showed another 700 were canceled. And this was interesting. The FAA system went down and uh, grounding pretty much all domestic flights. And whether or not this is an accident, whether or not this was a true hack, whether or not this was just a, how should I say, beta test to see what happens when you bring the airline system down. This isn't the first time, obviously, when they've grounded everything. You remember after 9-11, it's happened. When this happens, though, it's a very, very big deal because it throws everything into chaos when it comes to scheduling and flying. And in my opinion, I think this may partially, and again, this is just my opinion, it may be another way that the banker boys are intentionally trying to slow and inconvenience the process of being able to travel freely on your way. 
Remember, we've joked about it repeatedly when AOC, that Cortez bartender, congressional individual, <laughs> who she is, um, she came out and said, you know, all air traffic needs to stop. Everything needs to be on trains. We need to build, you know, a railroad track from the United States to Europe, and everybody needs to stop driving and flying. And everybody laughed and heckled her because it was the most stupidest thing she's ever said. Well, uh, isn't the most? It was one of. And then suddenly during COVID, you guys remember, everything stopped suddenly. And I thought to myself, wow, wonder what she uh, – she obviously got the nod from behind the scenes and was told what's going on. And so again, was this intentional? Was it something that was you know going on? I don't know. But one thing about it is it's definitely dropped chaos all over the airlines and uh, again, this is very problematic because you cannot allow commercial flights, really any major flights like that, to be flying all across the country without being monitored on a regular basis. What do you think about this, Dad? Do you think it was something that uh, it was a attack, or do you think this was just a um, you know coincidence? <laughs> well, you know, Austin, you know, me, I'm a pilot, and everybody knows that. And, and the crazy part about all of this is that people don't realize how complex the FFA system is. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, you have interlocking grids of airports that overlap each other with different airports inside of the grids, and all of these grids have to be communicating with other grids, and you have central hubs that basically tell all the airplanes what to do. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on avionics here and aviation. There's certain highways in the sky. You guys wouldn't know about that, but these are actually predetermined flight patterns and flight pathways that commercial jets have to fly on. And these are at different altitudes. You may have at 30,000, 31,000, 35,000, 40,000, 42,000, depending on the capability of the aircraft. And then besides that, they've got to be flying in the right direction so they don't run into each other. And then besides that, they have to have proper spacing. In other words, if you've got one jet that's flying, you know, due north course, you know, at 360 degrees, and you have another jet flying behind him, and they're both at the same altitude, let's say 35,000 feet, they both have to be, have a certain spacing between them so they don't run into each other. Especially because when they're flying in the fog or flying in clouds, or if they're down lower, they can't be just hitting each other. So it's an extremely complex grid with thousands of planes flying all the time. And, you know, you've been with me before often when I've been flying and, and I would see another plane coming towards me and I'd have to divert because you're, if you're flying, you know, you know, you know, basically with visual flight rules, you, can, you have to watch, make sure people don't run into you. And you've got to make sure that you need people that are on, on the board with you, on the plane with you are all watching also so you don't hit something up there. There are that many planes up there. And you can have, you know, and I've had several over the years really close, no mid-air collisions or anything like that, but, you know, close encounters where you get too close to somebody and you've got to take evasive action. That's the whole problem with the grid. And then on top of that, you got to deal with planes climbing through altitude. you got to deal with planes descending through altitude. That's why at almost every major airport, you know, within like a five-mile radius around the landing zones, they have a complete and total air freeze up to like 10, 12, 14,000 feet, depending on where the area is and the ground elevation, to prevent you from basically running over somebody who's trying to land or another big airplane. So it's a very complex system. And when you get your pilot license, you have to learn all about it. And it's not that it's you know difficult to learn. It's just complex, and you have to learn the different terms, the different nomenclature, which I have not really got into today. But that's what you have to learn. So this system is going to be easily hacked. Now, whether or not somebody actually went in there and hacked it or didn't hack it or whatever, I mean, I have no idea. All I know is this. It's a dangerous thing to do without being properly controlled. That's why you have air traffic control. 
and the air traffic control has to monitor these planes. You have transponders on board that tell the air traffic control. And just a few years ago, they made a requirement for like all planes flying within X amount of miles from an airport. They have to have transponders on board because they don't want to have mid-air collisions because there's already enough accidents with light planes and sometimes with heavier planes that they're trying to avoid all of that. And quite frankly, they do a really, really good job. You know, sometimes we'll do what's called flight following. And we'll pick up Charlotte or pick up Jacksonville or whatever, and we'll ask them you know, to give us directions or basically to follow us, make sure there's no planes around us. And on top of everything else, they're having to monitor you know, the plane that I'm flying. I, I no longer own an airplane. I don't have any of those things. I think it's really ridiculously expensive to own. But I basically would call flight following, and I'd say, I need you to follow me to X airport. And they would do that. And they would stay with me the whole time until I had the airport inside. So on top of everything else, they're doing all that. Now, sometimes – especially during COVID and they had a bunch of shortages, they tell me, you know, we can't follow you today. You're on your own. Have fun <laughs> or, or something like that. And you have to make sure you monitor everything yourself. And it's a whole lot easier when they're monitoring. Now, remember, thousands and thousands of planes in the air with literally close, probably close to a thousand airports in the United States. That most people don't even realize exist. Some of them are grass fields. Some of them are, you know, asphalt. Some of them are concrete, but they're everywhere. And when you when you're flying, sometimes you'll see three and four airports. You know, if you're flying at 10, 12,000 feet, you'll see three or four airports in one area. And you, people don't realize it's that complex and the FFA and the flight controllers and the air traffic control and those individual airports are basically telling everybody what to do if they have a tower. Then you run into the other thing that they might even have, not even have a tower at the airport. And this is a free-for-all. You tell everybody you're going to land on runway five. And you knew when you entered, you entered the downwind, you, you basically entered the base, you, you do the final, and you're telling everybody what you're doing. You got your lights on, hoping nobody else is going to run over you. And, and, and you hope that somebody on the ground has you know, the radio and they're listening. Okay, because you have runway incursions. Again, that's why I said at the beginning of this little little diatribe here that you, we have to we help each other when we fly. And I do the same thing when I drive an automobile. You know, Austin and I'll say, okay, the right lane is clear, the middle lane is clear, the left lane is clear, and we just tell each other that because we're so used to flying together that we want to make sure that we see what's going on around us. And how many times have you been in the car with your wife or your husband? And you don't see something, and they say, you know, hit the brake or whatever, and you look over and you're about to have a collision, and you slam on the brake. You got to times that by a whole bunch more because when you're in an airplane and, and something happens, you can't just pull over to the side of the highway. It's a problem, okay? So this is why when you see something like this with the FFA, it's very, very sobering. Not only are we having all of these flight delays to weather and everything else, now computer systems are going out. Now a lot of these systems are massively overloaded. Could they have been hacked? Yes, they could have been hacked. But who in the world knows? We never know any of this stuff that's going on around us because we don't know what to do. You know, when we're on an airplane, because the pilot is taking care of everything. And that's the other thing let me say to you real quick. When you're flying an airplane, you're not sitting in front of the plane, you know, playing tiddlywinks. All right. You're up there watching everything. You're monitoring manifold pressure. You're monitoring engine RPM. You're monitoring fuel consumption. You're monitoring where you're going. You're monitoring your course heading. You're monitoring everything. It's not relaxing when you fly. It's just not relaxing because everybody on board, including yourself and any passengers or whatever, Everybody's life is up to you because you, you're the one who's in charge. So I really respect pilots, especially from the big airplanes. And I really respect the guys that work in air traffic control with the FFA, the FAA. And I, and I, and I realize that you know it's a very complex system because I am a pilot. So again, I don't know often what happened and what's going to happen with it. And by the way, the list of the World Economic Forums. New, the attendee this month have come out. Now they're saying they're issuing Swiss guards and Swiss military personnel to protect these guys. And it says the attendees list is a massive roster of some of the most influential and diabolical forces in the corporate, governmental, and nonprofit world. The dossier has acquired a confidential list of every individual, excluding some government officials, 
who will be in attendance for the World Economic Forum's annual summit in Davos, Switzerland next week. The attendees list a massive roster. The FBI director, Chris Way. I mean, why is he involved in this? I mean, think about it. Why is our FBI director involved with the World Economic Forum? I mean, what, what the heck? I mean, this is another country. Why, why are we doing this? It's the FBI. It's supposed to be in the United States only. The CEOs of Amazon, BlackRock, surprise, surprise, and Pfizer, surprise, surprise, top official of the Gates Foundation and the Soros Network, and the publisher of the New York Times, to name a few. The World Economic Forum, though, to its annual Davos conference, acts as a go-to person, invite only, close to ideological outsiders' policy and ideas shop for the global ruling class. The Economic World Forum is a fanatical political organization masquerading as a neutral entity with specific policy goals that involve centralizing power into the possession of hand-picked global elites as the only means to save the earth from a claimed climate emergency. The WEF is the chief coalition builder for what amounts to a public-private fascist movement. Over the years, they've partnered with the most influential individuals and businesses along with central bankers, governmental head honchos, and international organizations in order to facilitate their top-down vision of technocratic tyranny or what they call stakeholder capitalism. The World Economic Forum seeks to deliberately roll back human progress, innovation, and personal flourishing, including not letting you own an automobile anymore under the guise of saving the planet from a so-called climate emergency. For the past several weeks, the dossier has been dedicating significant resources to reporting the ins and outs of the upcoming Davos conference. As a matter of public interest and legitimate journalistic reporting, the dossier is publishing the entire document here, which I'm going to post on the website, which we modify with the necessary redactions to protect personal information. So, guys, you know, this is a major, major problem that we have as far as who these people are and what they believe. And, and when you understand who they are and what they want to do to us, you start to understand that this world is being taken under a one-world government, which is exactly – you know, who they want us to be under, you know, under Lucifer, you know, uh, so, uh, uh, you know, if we don't understand who and what's doing this, we talk about on the show all the time, then all we're going to be do- doing is constantly wondering why in the world they are happening certain ways. And remember, this is out of Davos, Switzerland. The Bank of International Settlements is out of Davos, Switzerland. All these things are basically by these international banker heads who run the central banks all over the world and basically are most of them are pretty much based out of Switzerland because it's a neutral country. And this is the group that through the Rothschild banking empire and the central banks throughout the world and all these different countries control the monetary policies and the flow of currency and cash. This is the group that's pushing for the digital currency, the digital currency ID systems, and to get rid of cash. This is the group that's pushing for a one-world government. But you've got to ask yourself a question. Who's in charge of this group? Now, this is the group they're showing us. This is the one they want. And I'm going to tell you again, it goes back to the Bible. It's the synagogue of Satan. It's the group of people that are basically controlling the monetary systems. It's also talked about so many different times. And the people who are out there doing all of the stuff, these nefarious things, because quite frankly, they really, really, really want to control every aspect of your life. They want you to live in big cities. You know, with tiny little apartments. They don't want you to have access to rural areas and to land, the national parks or automobiles or anything else. It's like Austin said at the beginning of his first segment. You know, Cortez up there wants you to have a railway track set up all the way to Europe so we can't fly anymore. But yet all these people at the World Economic Forum, almost all of them are coming in on their G550s and their G650s and their giant jets, sucking up huge amounts of fuel. And they may only have one or two people on that giant plane. So it's just an absolute how should you say it's hypocrisy at the highest level that they would do this and have this extended lifestyle and what it reminds me of austin is the movie the hunger games where you have these group of elites that are running the world and they have their little slave sections that basically they bring together every year for the hunger games to see who can defeat each other and kill each other like gladiatorial combat you guys have pretty much all seen that movie but yet they live in opulence and luxury all of the time while the peasants and the serfs 
have this caste structure in which they can never achieve the ability to go to the city and be part of that. And this is what they want. They want us back into a feudal system. We, we've seen it over and over and over again in which they control everything, including production, farmland, everything, in order to control the masses. And one of the easiest way to control the masses is food. You know, we've got eggs now pushing, you know, $8 a, you know, a dozen. We've got Whole Foods out in California now restricting the amount of eggs that you can buy. Everything's going to be controlled through food. That's one of the reasons they do so much climate engineering is to control farm production and farm, you know, and farm you know, productivity. And if we understand what's going on here and how this is coming together, just like the Bible said, you know, we're going to have a one-world government. They want a one-world religion, and they want to have it under Lucifer. And, and you know, and here's the thing. You know, if we see what's going on and we don't tell our friends – you know, it's shame on us. You know, there's an article that came out. It said, when preachers fail to warn, and, uh, you know, and it's, it's a good article. I'm going to post it. And, and, you know, and the thing about it is, it says, this guy, this, let me see who wrote this article. It doesn't, uh, by Howard Green. And, and, and it's really good. He says, dear Christian friend, I'm writing with a sense of humility and love for the church and fellow preachers. The issue in hand is so critical. If my admonishment makes you uncomfortable, that's a start because that's what I'm aiming is for a holy sense of urgency. Roughly 175,000 people die every day, and people's souls are literally hanging in the balance between heaven and hell. And we literally don't have a moment to waste. As ministers, we have one primary job, and that's to preach the gospel. Ultimately, in many churches and ministries, that isn't happening. Instead, we have a growing number of preachers who distort the grace of God. Numerous pastors, teachers, and evangelists are consumed with selfish ambition and envy, counting members' upward mobility and getting the surrounding community to like us because many preachers to compromise the truth of the gospel. The message becomes so distorted that many people who hear it will assume they are saved when they're not. A number of years ago during a Sunday morning service, I heard a young preacher tell a large gathering essentially – that we were okay and God was basically pleased with them. No repentance, no brokenness, and no warning. It's Galatians 1, 9 through 10. The type of preaching has no place in a Christian church. We are so consumed with people pleasing that we would neglect to tell people that God is a holy, all-consuming fire, and that apart from repentance and faith in Jesus, they will die in their sins. God forbid. You might say, well, Howard, isn't that a bit harsh? No, friend, what's harsh is not telling the people about the truth and the danger they are in. Imagine knowing about the Titanic, September the 11th, or the Indian Ocean tsunami a few days before it happened. Wouldn't you do everything in your power to warn the people? You wouldn't spend months trying to get them to know and trust you first so they can see how loving you are. You would risk your dignity, reputation, and possibly even your own life to warn people. It is the most Christ-like thing we can do. The Bible is replete with examples of shepherds who failed to warn people. Don't believe that lie that you must first earn the right to share the gospel. This is simply a worldly method to integrate ourselves, excuse me, ingratiate ourselves to the community via spiritual bait and switch with no biblical precedence. And, and this goes on. I'm going to go ahead and let you guys read the rest of this because it's a pretty long article. But we need to understand something. His disciples, as his disciples, as God's disciples, we have no excuse for failing to warn people. We must preach the whole truth of the gospel and warn people about the coming judgment, repentance, and faith in Jesus. It is a loving thing to warn people. Jesus loves everyone and desires that all people come to him. That's Matthew 9.36. You know, I've used this analogy before, and I'm going to use it again. When you have a person who's involved in a hotel fire, and you know that the hotel is on fire, and I had this happen to me you know, years ago. Actually, it wasn't years ago. It was with me and Austin when we were up in D.C. a few months ago. Uh, the, the, the alarm went off at the hotel, and they sent us all outside. So we're sitting on the curb you know, waiting to go back in. 
And, and, you know, so Austin and I are sitting outside and we waited about 10 minutes. The other alarm went off and we back in and it was, it was some, something in the kitchen that caught on fire and set off a smoke detector and they evacuated the whole hotel. And, and we appreciate that because whenever there's an emergency situation like that, if it's for real and something's really on fire, you need to get out, which we did. Now, here's the irony of all of that. If you're in a hotel room and you have your friend next door and he doesn't hear the alarm and there's a real fire going on, and he's overcome by smoke inhalation. I have a good friend of mine whose brother died from that. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible story, but it happens all the time in a, in a house fire. What would you do to get that friend out of that hotel room? Would you kick the door in? If you had a gun, would you shoot the lock? If you had a sledgehammer, would you break the lock? If you had an axe, would you hack through the door? What would you be willing to do to get that person out of that room to save them? And that's the truth, isn't it? I think as Christians, we have to do that. We have to walk in love, but we also have to be walking in truth the best we possibly can. Now, all of us have sinned. None of us deserve heaven. All of us has fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us, including myself. And I'm not painting any halo over myself. I mean, I do things I should not do. Sometimes I say things I should not say. Heck, sometimes I use bad words. You guys know that. You heard me on the show. I try not to do it, but none of us are perfect. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we all deserve God's judgment. But when Christ comes to us and he sanctifies us through his blood, it's the blood of Jesus that sanctifies us, then we have to understand something, that we are saved by faith through faith through grace. And it's a gift that God gives us, not that we're perfect, not that we're ever going to be perfect, not that we basically deserve what God's done for us, but we do. That's what we all have to learn to walk in love because we're all going to do things. We're all going to offend people. We're all going to say things we shouldn't ought to say, all of us, including myself. I just mentioned that. But the thing about it is, how do we respond to that? How do we respond if somebody else does that to you? Because, you know, we all have to repent. We have to ask for forgiveness if we've done something wrong. We have to because what the Bible tells us to do. There's several verses I can read to this, this, this thing I'm going to tell you. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong, gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but not have love, I am nothing. If I, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. That's, that's what the Word of God tells us. And we're supposed to walk in love as fellow believers with one another. Ephesians 5, 1 through 3. 1 through 33. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on then the chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Colossians 3.14, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 1 Corinthians 16-14, let all you do be done in love. You know, I could just go on. I'm going to post these. There's a whole bunch of them. You know, and we need to understand something very, very serious about this too. You know, when we all fall short of the glory of God and we do things that are bad, we ask people to forgive us, and we have people that basically don't forgive us. Uh, we need to all realize that you know, we need to pray the Lord's Prayer. You know, Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And we need to understand that we all are going to do that, and we're all going to fall short of God's glory. And there's, and there's really nothing we can do about that because we're in a flesh suit and a fleshly body. And so when we understand all that, you, you understand a lot of the reasons that we are told, told to forgive others who hurt us. 
you know, in Matthew six fourteen it says, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Matthew six fifteen. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Colossians three thirteen. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against each other, just as the Lord forgave you, and you should do so also. Luke six twenty eight. Blessed are those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Now I'm going to stop for one second on this. We have a lot of people out there right now that start praying in precatory prayers. You guys probably know who I'm talking about. They curse people in Jesus' name. Is that what I'm telling you? Is that what the Bible's telling you to do here in the New Testament? It's telling us to love one another. One verse says they will know that you're disciples because you love one another. You know, who, you know, it's easy to return bitterness for bitterness. It is. But it's difficult to return good for bitterness. And you know, we all mess up. We all do things. We all say things. Let me give you an example. In my own life, you know, my father got divorced from my from his first wife. You know, I've told you guys the story before. They're, all the players, and my parents, and all these people are already gone. They're all with Jesus. But but and then he then he married my mom, met her over in Germany, got married, and had me and my sister here in Florida. You know, back in 1954 and 55, my sister and I were born, and my dad and my mom got married in 52. Well. His family in Iowa, there's, I'm not going to get into why they got divorced, but basically were angry that my father left their mom, just angry, and they were bitter about it. And the sis, my sister wasn't bitter. She's passed away now. She's with God now, with Jesus now too, but and one of the brothers was just extremely angry. And years later, many years ago, I was actually preaching a funeral up there and talking and did the eulogy for one of our really good relatives. He asked me why did my dad leave my mom, and I told him. And he, he didn't know. He had never asked my father. And he was still angry and bitter from what had happened in 1950-52. And I'm talking – this is 50 years later. And it affected everything in his body. It had given him arthritis. It had given him heart problems. It had given him back problems. I mean on and on and on and on because cortisol, when you elevate it like that with stress, it causes all kinds of problems. You can't digest your food properly, and you start having degenerative diseases. And to, that, and to this day, he is still angry that my, my dad divorced his mom. Now, here's what I've learned about divorce. This is what I've learned, Okay. Because I was married once before. I was married for three years, and then I was basically uh, married to Sharon for 38 years. We had a wonderful marriage. And what happened with the first marriage, is it just didn't go like it was supposed to. I don't have any bitterness towards my first wife. I really don't. You know, if I saw her today, I would speak to her and be, be kind to her and be, you know, be, be, you know, be happy to hear what she had to say and what she's done with her life. That's how I feel about that because what I've learned is this. The bitterness hangs on you like a you know, pork chop around your neck that starts to rot, right? And, and, you, and you don't understand why it's doing what it's doing and, and the stench that it creates, and it causes you to have health problems. If you don't forgive one another, what ends up happening is it affects your health. It really does because you, all of us are going to sin. All of us are going to fall short of the glory of God. You know, none of us deserve heaven. It's a gift that God gave us by the grace of God, and I've talked about it in detail about what it does when you accept Christ and how the blood of the covenant the eternal covenant from an omnipresent being that releases scalar energy changes you from a physics standpoint and basically converts you back to that of the Father so that when they look at you in heaven, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you anymore. He sees Jesus. Guys, all of us have sinned. We all, If we didn't have Christ in our lives, we'd be pretty ugly. But we have Christ, and we always have to walk in love with everything that we do. It's very, very, very important. Luke six twenty four says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you, Second Corinthians 2.10. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also, for indeed I have forgiven. I have forgiven – if I have forgiven anything, I did it for the sakes in the presence of Christ. That's a good one. Matthew 5.23, leave your offering here before the altar. First go be reconciled with your brother and then come present your offering. You get, then he goes on, 
Peter says, in Matthew 18, 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sinned against me? And he says, up to seven times? And he says, no, up to 70 times seven. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. That's Luke 17, 4. Mark 11, 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Romans 12, 5, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I'm going to go ahead and post this also on the website, but I want to share that with you guys this morning because I've got a lot of you guys that are always sending me emails about problems that you've got with divorce. Okay? I'm just going to talk for a second to you guys with my family. I've got a lot of you guys who are always sending me emails who are telling me that you have a problem in your current marriage, that you're having a hard time praying for your husband, and you're having a hard time praying for your wife, and your marriage is estranged, and that you're in a situation where you don't like each other anymore, and you've turned into roommates. Forgive one another. Just forgive one another. It's the easiest way to do it. Start looking at the good things, on the good things that the person has, not the bad things, because we all have really ugly things, and we all have done bad things in our life, and, and so have you. So have I. We all have. And so we need to understand that. Just forgive one another as Christ forgave you, and think about the good things, because the good things will overweigh and overshadow everything bad that we've done if we allow those memories and the good things to do so. If we only dwell on the negative, what's going to happen is it's going to make us bitter and very, very angry. It really is. I know, I know men who are so angry at their ex-wives that they would do anything they could to get even with that ex-wife. I mean it's, it's insane. I mean they would destroy them physically, mentally, credit-wise, do anything they could in order to try to get even. That's not God. That's not being of God. And we need to walk in love as Christ walked in love for you and gave himself for you. That's the difference between being a Christian. Now, is it easy to do that all the time? No, it's not. Sometimes it's really hard. It is. I'm not even going to try to pretend like it is, but here's what I've learned. When I pray for people, the Bible says to do this, that have used you or despitefully used you or have done things to you, and I ask God to forgive them and I ask God to cleanse my heart, he does. It may take 40, 50 times doing that. I mean I'm not going to try to paint a halo over my head like I said earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with stuff all the time in my own personal life, and I've dealt with all this stuff for the last you know, 67 years. And I realize that you know, we've got to continue to forgive one another as Christ forgave you and God will forgive you because if we don't, what ends up happening is a seed of bitterness will come in. It will start causing all kinds of problems. Uh, years ago, I, I, I had a, one of, of a guy that was a publicist for me, and I just he was so awful. And I just continued to pray for God to basically bless him and keep him, allow his face to shine upon him like I pray for you guys every day. Because I've learned over the years it's better to walk in love and forgiveness than not to. And if we don't do that, then what separates us from the world? Hmm? Let me ask you that question. What separates us from the world? Nothing does, does it? If we're constantly walking in hatred and bitterness, it's no good, guys. Learn to forgive one another. Guys, listen to me. Forgive your wife. You know, ladies, forgive your husband. Walk in love with one another as, as Christ so loved the church. And don't major in a bunch of minor stuff. Remember the Bible says in the Song of Solomon, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines? And it's true, isn't it? It's the little foxes that crawl underneath the fencing, and they get in. They start gnawing on the vines and eating the fruit, and it's the little things that start breaking up people. Don't allow yourself to focus on the little things. And if, there, if it's a little thing and it's bugging your spouse, just work on it and try not to do it anymore. 
is, it's important because those little things will turn into a giant weight if you're not careful. If it takes a, a thousand pounds to break up a marriage, let's use a metaphor, using a descriptive you know, analogy to use to quantify it, you know, a thousand one pound weights will do the same thing. It's just over time, over time, over time, over time. And when you have issues with one another, pray for each other and talk to each other and do your best to be loving with one another and care about each other. If you do that, you can build a really, really good marriage because it becomes 100% reciprocal in both directions. Very, very important. I want to talk to you guys about this morning because I had several people send me emails yesterday, and they're quite frankly, their marriages and their relationships are really messed up, and they don't know what to do. And I just want to let you know that we've got to walk in love and we've got to walk in forgiveness because if we don't, it's going to be a problem. Also, one more thing I want to address. The preachers in the pulpit have to be addressing the hard issues, and that article is correct. We have to be talking about repentance. We have to be talking about what's going on with the abortion. We have to be talking about Roe v. Wade. I mean, vast majority of these, quote, woke churches did not even mention what happened with Roe v. Wade. And I understand – let me stop for a second because I don't want to meddle on this too much. I understand that a lot of you who are listening to the show this morning, you know, in your past before you knew any better and didn't know any different or whatever because of various circumstances, you may have gotten an abortion. That's in God's seal for forgetfulness. Don't allow that to be something that's going to turmoil you and trouble you for the rest of your life. Don't do that. But realize that you can talk to your friends and there are plenty of adoption places out there that are willing to place a, you know, an infant into a homes of loving parents. You, know, you don't have to go in and do abortion, but the preachers won't even address any of this stuff. They won't address anything about the transgender story hours. They won't address anything about the militant homosexual movement. A lot of them have put homosexual singers on the platform. But none of that's okay. We've got to do the best we can to stand with the word of God. Now, we're all going to sin. Every one of us are. And we're all going to fall short of the glory of God. But we've got to address the issues to the best of our ability every time we get a chance to because if we don't, these things are going to come back and weigh down on us for the rest of our lives. And remember something, guys. I love you, and I appreciate you. Also, what do you think, buddy, and what's your next story? Well, that was excellent, bud. That was really good information. You're 100% accurate about that. And, you know, another thing just for me to add on top of that, and I'm just going to put this out there, and I know a lot of people, like you just said, been having issues when it comes to marriages and everything across the board. One of the most effective things you can do if you are trying to work on your marriage with your spouse is to limit, if not get rid of, at least for a significant period of time, is social media. And I'm going to step on a lot of toes with this right now. This is a big, hot topic, and I'm telling you guys this from right. experience, and I'm telling you this from a lot of people that I know because I talk to people – all day. I mean, you guys know me. That's what I do. <laughs> and social media has come in now as a very effective tool by the banker boys, and they've used specific algorithms to target you, to distract you, to make you feel as if you're not good enough, to make you feel like your spouse isn't good enough, to make you focus on things that you have no business focusing on, and to distract you. Social media has been one giant distraction. Now, I know there are certain platforms that people use to generate revenue for marketing. I get that, and that's not really what I'm talking about right now, and you guys understand that. There's a lot of personal social media that people use that they have no business being on. There's certain apps that married couples have no business being on. One of those, and I'm going to say this very clearly for the younger generation, is Snapchat. I don't have it. Lana doesn't have it. No purpose, no business whatsoever for a married couple to have that app. Now, you can disagree with me. Don't care. I'm telling you right now from what I have seen from numerous marriages and a lot of my friends who have now gotten divorced that I've watched. This is something to look at. Again, not going to meddle on it. You make your own decision on it. One of the best things you can do is either limit the amount of time you're using it or 
detox from it. I've done that. I've known numerous people that have done that. You simply go, okay, I'm deleting the apps, not necessarily deleting accounts, but I'm going to delete an app for a month. I'm not going to get on it. No purpose, no business, especially if it's not business related. Let it go. And it's funny. You will watch your demeanor, your attitude, your focus. Everything will actually start to go up when you delete all social media platforms for a month. I promise you, you guys can try that and test it out. This has been used a very effective tool by the globalist banker boys in order to distract and break up marriages. Because remember, the family unit, the family, the true family, the nuclear family is something they absolutely hate because you have reliance on one another. You have respect. You have a family that you work with one another and you have each other's back. They don't want that. They want everybody to be chopped up. They want to have all this dysfunction because remember, if they can continually keep people dysfunctional and distracted, there nobody is going to actually look at what they're doing behind the scenes. Nobody's going to question why we're seeing teenagers and young adults dropping dead all over the country right now with cardiac arrest and severe blood clots. They're not going to talk about how the FDA completely and totally skewed the numbers to manipulate them to get the F the, uh, the excuse me, the uh, Pfizer skewed the numbers to get the FDA to approve this shot. Nobody wants to talk about any of this. Even the fact that we're watching it happen. A lot of doctors aren't wanting to talk about it. Look at what's going on here in California where they now have this medical panel of disinformation panel, they so call it. So if a doctor says anything that this panel doesn't like and they deem misinformation, they they pull your credentials. They pull your license. Boop, done. Over with. Okay, well, I'm bringing up the fact that there are some possible issues with the shot. Oh, nope. Completely safe and effective. You're spreading disinformation. We're pulling your license. You're done now. Guys, you can see what they're doing very clearly, and this is why it is so important to constantly keep the truth and get it out there as much as you possibly can. I saw an article earlier here now where the CDC is finally releasing the VAERS safety monitoring analysis for the COVID shots. Now, if you guys recall, back in uh, 2020, the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, the CDC came out and said, listen, guys. We're going to be monitoring these shots. We're going to be watching for any safety signals. We're going to be watching for any side effects. Every single week, we're going to give you an updated report on what's going on with this. You can look this up. Nothing. They didn't do anything. They completely and totally ignored it. And what's ironic about it now, and finally, finally now in 2023, they're releasing their safety data from December 14, 2020 through the end of July 2022. And you can look at it, and it's very, very significant. The numbers here, there's 96 safety signals, which means severe side effects that were reported. Specific different side effects is what I mean. 96 safety signals for 12 to 17-year-olds. 66 different safety signals for 5 to 11-year-olds, including myocarditis and pericarditis. These are all reported. The safety signals cannot be dismissed as due to a exaggerated or any artificially inflated reporting, nor can they be dismissed due to the huge number of COVID vaccines administered. There is a very specific problem with these shots. The CDC knows it. The FDA, the FDA knows it. The Pfizer knows it. They all know it. Yet they're still spreading the lie, telling everybody you need to get it in order to be protected. You need to do this in order to be safe. This is not going to stop unless people really start addressing it and really start talking about it. Last night, I stopped by a good friend of mine's house that was doing some woodwork for me, and his son was there. And they've been having some health issues with him, and I 
I brought up the topic of overall childhood vaccines in general, not even the COVID vaccines. And I talked to him about it in detail. And I talked to his wife about it in detail. And I've continually talked to everybody I know about it. Is I've said, listen, in the state of Florida, at least, you can co get a religious exemption waiver right now in the state of Florida, anywhere, any place, anytime, as far as at a health clinic. Set up a schedule, set up an appointment, go in, get it done, sign off on it. All you need to bring is a birth certificate for your child and your ID, done. Now, if you decide you want to inject shots into the child as they get older, if they go to school or if they go to college, that's completely up to you. I don't agree with it, but everybody has their right and their choice to do what they want. However, why not give yourself at least that extra option? I've always been big on this with everything. Have multiple backup plans. Have plan A, plan B, plan C. What happens if this fails? Have contingencies. Don't allow yourself to be forced into believing that you have to have your child injected with something just because somebody tells you so. And people argue and they go, well, Austin, these are pediatricians. They know what they're doing. They, they very well know what they're doing. And they also know that Blue Cross Blue Shield continually gives them bonuses based on their percentage of vaccine compliance among their pediatric patients. They incentivize them to make sure all the children have shots. They have a financial incentive to make sure those children are continually injected. I can't be more clear than that. So, yes, they're doctors. Yes, they're educated in a lot of areas. Yes, they're financially incentivized to continually roll the shots out. Do your own research. If you see that a child is continually getting sick with all these inflammatory responses, issues with the lungs, with the ears, with the adenoids, with the tonsils, repeatedly, and then you take him back to the doctor and the doctor goes, oh, oh, he's okay. He'll, he'll get through it. Time to give him his next round of booster shots. He needs his six-month shot and his eight-month shot. You really got to ask yourself the question. Even from a scientific standpoint, if that child is extremely sick and dealing with fevers and respiratory infections, that means his body is overloaded right now. Obviously, that's that's agreeable in any scientific community. His body is overloaded. His immune system that is not even developed yet is completely and totally overwhelmed. His body is an inflammatory response. Does it make sense to go inject seven more vaccines into him while his body is already extremely weak and trying to fight something off? The answer is no. It does not make any sense from a scientific standpoint, yet the doctors keep doing it. So please do your own research. Read up on it. There's numerous links and articles we have on the website. There's all kinds of stuff online if you want to search it. I've even put one of the articles that is on the um, – on the website that goes directly to like 1,500 different studies on vaccines and safety and also health problems that come along with them. So it's always good. Do your own research. Make your own make your own decision, my friends. Don't be pressured or forced into doing something because family or a mother-in-law or even sometimes, should I say, a spouse. And this is a big topic that everybody needs to be aware of with the younger the younger teens and younger adults. Have communication before you get married, before you get engaged. Bring up topics, even ones that may not be comfortable to talk about, because quite frankly, you need to be on the same page before you start making a very long-term commitment. I mean that sincerely. I have a good friend of mine. He's dealing with some stuff right now, and I told him, I said, there's a lot of stuff you need to put on the table. You need to talk about because I promise you, it doesn't get easier when you get married if there's topics that are unaddressed. This is very, very important. So again, 
I encourage everyone continue to have an open line of communication and continue to keep talking to everybody you know that has ears to hear and continue to encourage them. If you're talking to somebody, whether it be about shots or COVID or health, and they are willing and eager to listen, give them the information. Now, sometimes you have people that will sit there and they're like, uh, you can tell they just blank out and they walk away or they're trying to – there's no reason to continually discuss anything with them. But if you're talking to somebody that's open and listening, let them them do it. Let them talk. Let them go. Have a a discussion about it and continue to get the truth out there, my friends, because there is a war on truth right now, and there's no question about it. It's getting more aggressive. You can see that on every platform online. You can see that out in public. Nobody is allowed to talk about the forbidden topics now, and a lot of them we talk about on this show, and we get a lot of flack for it. Don't care. I'm just getting the truth out there the best I can possibly convey it. Also, to in other news, switching gears, as as you see, the uh, egg issue that Dad brought up earlier, you see egg prices going up, and we've seen the numerous issues with the avian bird flu all across the globe suddenly this year or last year and all these chickens being slaughtered and all these issues and these manufacturing plants. And remember all the fires that were happening last year? It was like every time you turned around, there's another chicken farm that suddenly caught on fire. There's another manufacturing plant, another processing plant that caught on fire. Now we're seeing the prices of eggs go through the roof, meat go through the roof. And now suddenly the European Union is discussing the fact that they may need to impose a very significant tax on meat production, well, in order to get to their net zero plan for emissions and climate metrics. This, again, is the push in order to degrade the general population into believing they can't eat meat, they can't live freely, they need to essentially eat bugs and live in a 300-square-foot apartment, like Dad said earlier, with this Davos over here, what you're seeing over there in um, Switzerland. And there was a report that there's like 5,000 Swiss troops that are going in there now over there in Switzerland for the World Economic Forum meeting. Isn't it ironic that you have people from all over the globe that are, like Dad said, the CEO of Pfizer and all these other companies that are making hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue by pushing poisons all across the globe. And they are the ones that are meeting together to dictate and tell everyone what we need to do in order to be climate friendly. Like Dad said, they fly over there in their Gulfstream 750s now and all these other – I have no respect nor do I listen to anybody that is that steeped in hypocrisy. So again, I encourage you, thank you for getting the truth out there and continually speaking about what is actually happening right now because it and support local farmers. I mean that sincerely as well. Support local farms. It is crucial because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get rid of and completely wipe out farmers. That's right. See, Bill Gates has gone in now and bought up huge, huge swaths. I mean he's like the largest holder now of farmland. Bill Gates isn't a farmer. He's not out there planting corn. He doesn't care about food production when it comes to selling and reselling being a farmer. They're doing this in order to control the food population, the, the food production to get it to the population to reduce the ability for people to be able to live freely and to continue to inject poisons in everyone. Isn't it funny when you look back at photos? And Dad's seen this, and I've seen this in old photos when Dad was in college and he was at Florida State. Everybody in all the photos is in fairly good shape. Yep. Even the ones that didn't work out, like his buddies in all these photos, even ones that didn't work out, they're still lean. You see photos of people at the beach in the 60s and 70s. They're all lean. 
You don't see morbidly obese people from the 60s and 70s, but yet nobody really cared about their diet back then. Everybody ate butter. Everybody ate beef. Everybody drank milk. Everybody ate bread, but nobody was morbidly obese in the 60s and 70s and photos that I have seen. And maybe dad can correct me on this, but the only thing that has changed now in the last 30 to 40 years is the horrific Western diet of processed foods with chemicals, with additives, with high fructose corn syrup, with glyphosate, and it has been literally exploded on the American population like an atomic bomb, and people are wondering why there's so many health issues. It's what you put in your body that changes how your body composition is. I can't be more clear on that. You take the right supplements. You run high doses of vitamin C and D3 on a regular basis. You take the ultimate multiple. You eat organic food, and you eat as clean as you can on a regular basis. And suddenly, you feel really good and have a lot of energy, and your body composition is strong. There is a reason why you've watched the entire population health degrade, and it's not because suddenly, oh, we're eating differently. It's the fact that the food is garbage and people have steered away from the healthy foods like eggs and butter and beef. But am, am I wrong, Dad, from the photos that I've seen when you were in college and stuff? Nobody really seemed morbidly obese back then. Well, there were a few people that were overweight. There always has been. I mean, not much you can do about that, but the percentages were much, much, much lower. And, uh, you know, I was a personal trainer back in college, and I helped a lot of people to get in shape. But we never had the really, really morbidly obese people coming to the gym at all. And you see some of those now coming into the gym. And I always told them when they started working out, I, I always said this. I said, you cannot burn enough calories through exercise in order to basically get this weight off. You've got to change your basal metabolic rate. You've got to change the food that you eat. You have to start eating low glycemic carbohydrates. you got to stay away from pasta, bread, rice, potatoes, and sugar and soda. And when you do that, those – the body, when you're eating the food, it doesn't get stored as fat, and you can't train hard enough if you weigh 300 pounds to lose the weight and eat junk food. It doesn't work. It's, it's simply impossible. You'll you'll destroy your joints trying to do it. You'll, you'll, you'll burn calories and you'll burn fat, but you'll replace it immediately by the food that you eat. And when I was a bodybuilder back in college, I used to tell people, I said, you know, 80% of what you look like, I mean, if you're doing contest prep, 80% isn't your training anymore because you've already built that muscle mass. 80% of what you look like is the diet that you eat as far as if you're getting ready for a stage appearance or getting ready to, you know, be a bodybuilder on the platform. And I'm not necessarily recommending bodybuilding diets for people on an ongoing basis because they're really strict. And uh, you'll be in a, if you're not careful, you'll end up losing too much weight on because you get too lean. But the reality is this, you know, a lot of people can lose 10, 15, 20 pounds. And I know me personally, I have to eat a lot of food now to maintain my weight because I'm eating so clean. And that's kind of a pain, too, because you're always cooking and, you know, whatever. That's why I was trying to prepare chicken and vegetables in advance so I could just do what I'm going to do and eat large amounts of it. And now I've had to add a little bit of extra fat into my meals to try to keep my weight up some more. And so it's just one of those things. If you eat a clean diet, you don't have to worry about the weight. The weight will automatically go to where it belongs. And it's so important. That's why I say if you want to weigh 120 pounds, eat 1,200 calories a day. If you want to weigh 180 pounds, eat 1,800 calories a day. Divide it into six. Eat 200 calories six times a day at 120. Eat 300 calories six times a day for 180. Very, very, very important that we all do that. And, and just encourage one another and uplift each other and try to just support one another with all those decisions you make. And one more thing, too. I was talking about forgiving once to one another and walking in love. And there's one more thing i got to talk about because there's scripture on this. I want to tie this all together. When the Bible talks about what we need to do and realize that we've all fallen so fall, that we've all fallen from grace and without Jesus we're not there, we need to realize that nobody is perfect. I want to use some scripture on that. First John one, eight through ten. I mean, this is a paraphrase, but it's pretty good the way they've done it. If we go around bragging that we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and are strangers to the truth. 
But if we own up to our sins, God shows that he is faithful by just forgiving us of our sins and purifying us from the pollution of the bad things that we've done. If we say we have not sinned, then we depict God as a liar and show that we have not let his word find its way into our hearts. Romans three twenty two to 25 This redeeming justice comes through us through the faithfulness of Jesus, the anointed one, the liberating king who makes salvation a reality for all who believe without the slightest partiality. You see, all have sinned, and all their futile attempts to reach God in his glory fail. Yet they are now saved, set right by his free gift of grace through the redemption available only through Jesus. That's why I get so frustrated when I hear preachers who talk about there are more ways to get to the Father than by Christ. I was doing a show with a lady by the name of Sarah a few years ago, and I've played the the recording. I did her show in the morning, and we did our show in the afternoon then. And I played that show many times as a rerun with you guys as far as a basic primer that people need to use. And she told me, she says, well, there's many ways to get to the Father, not just one. I said, no, that's not true. I said, there's only one way to get to the Father, and that's through, that's through Jesus. And she goes, well, I don't agree with you. I said, that's okay. You don't have to agree with me. I'm just telling you the way it is. You know, there's only one way that we can get saved. That's by the blood of the Lamb, by grace, through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, by the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus that sanctifies us for all of eternity. There's no other way to correct your, your energy field that is your body, the energy field that is your soul, the energy field that is you, without going through Jesus Christ, who's the transformer. He transforms us. And when God looks at us, he no longer sees us. He sees Jesus. We've got to get that. It's really, really important that we do that. And Isaiah says, you know, all of us are dirty with sin, and all the right things we have done are like filthy pieces of cloth. And that, That's true. We, we all need to realize that we need to continually strive to be the right person that we need to be before God. And, you know, and, and then Jesus says in First John 14, he goes, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, for the Father will love them, and they will come make a home with him. And, and, and it just goes on and on and on. You know, you know, we, we, I'm, I'm almost out of time, so I can't keep doing this. But, but, the, but the reality is I wanted to kind of make today's show a little bit about that because I know a lot of you are dealing with bad marriages right now. And I'm going to pray specifically for you after the show today about your marriages. And you're dealing with you know, all kinds of issues with family members that you're trying to sort out. Just remember, forgive people. Now, sometimes – I'm going to say this, and I've said it before – when you forgive people, they don't forgive you back, right? You just got to keep forgiving them. And sometimes you can't associate them with them anymore. You simply can't do it. You have to just love them from a distance and be nice to them and realize that some people aren't going to reconcile with you. And, and I got that too. I've had that happen to me in my life also. And, but always remember, don't walk in bitterness. Walk in love. It's so important to do that because it will keep you a whole lot healthier too. I love you guys. You remember to stand firm in your faith. Remember Ephesians. You put on the full armor of God, and you stand and you dig in. Austin, finish it up, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Absolutely, 100%. And Again, this is why it's so important to get the truth out there. And I, I know I say that a lot, and I'm going to continue saying that a lot because it is so crucial right now that people become informed and educated on the topics that they need to be and continue to speak up. Thank you again for the support of Health Masters. Be sure to check out the website. we got the daily news articles on the front page. You can look at all the articles that we've talked about today, the sites. The uh, research studies, all this stuff is on the website. We update it every single day at healthmasters.com. Also, sign up for the free weekly newsletter if you haven't. We send direct links for the show right to your email along with coupons and specials and different promos that we have running right now. So continue to speak up, my friends. Thank you for the support of Health Masters. Be sure to check out the website at the product of the week. I'm going to update that here shortly, the Probiotic 100 billion. Incredibly good product. If you haven't looked at it, be sure to check it out. It's extremely good for digestive, for healthy intestinal microbe, healthy natural immune response, 
uh, digestion, especially a lot of times people are having issues now. I hear this a lot, having issues with dairy and lactose. Now, a lot of that is due to the homogenization and the processing of milk. A lot of people have this concept. They think, oh, dairy and lactose and milk and all this stuff is bad. People, human beings have used milk for thousands upon thousands of years. And it's just now until recently we've decided we were going to pasteurize it and homogenize it to make it safe for everybody to drink. You can look at the article I have on the website that goes into detail on that and what it actually does to the milk and degrades it. And really, essentially, it's not even milk anymore after it goes through that process. I'm not telling people to go drink raw milk. What I'm saying is I've used raw milk and raw cow's milk and raw goat's milk repeatedly. And again, be very careful if you're using that. Make sure you know where you're getting it from. But I'm not telling you to go do it. I'm just saying the concept that we have to process things to such a degree in order to make them safe. Guys, do your own research and look at it. But this, again, probiotic, $100 billion can really help out with people that are having issues with dairy. And uh, not that you need to drink it all the time, but if you are having issues with it, especially when it comes to allergies, seasonal allergies are coming up for a lot of people soon, especially down here in Florida. The turmeric force is an incredible product for that. That's what Lana uses for her allergies. That is also very, very good to reduce inflammation and cause the body not to have such an immune response from whatever, you know, pollen, whatever you're responding to during allergy season. The GHI cleanse is also another really good option for that during allergy season. So be sure to check those out on the website at healthmasters.com. Y'all have an absolutely blessed, safe, awesome night. Thank you so much again for your support. Thank you for your emails. If you need anything, give us a call, 1-800-726-1834. We're here to help you out the best we can. Have a blessed, safe, awesome evening. I'll talk to you again tomorrow as always.